This episode is provided to you by Clara Labs. Clara Labs is making it easier for you to focus on the things that matter by providing a 24-7 virtual assistant to handle all of your scheduling needs. Here's how it works. All you have to do is CC Clara in your email thread, and Clara will take it from there. Clara is responsive, reliable, and simple to use. For more information, visit www.claralabs.com. This episode is brought to you by Flatiron School. Flatiron School is an outcomes-focused coding bootcamp offering the best in software engineering education online and in New York City. For more information, visit flatiron500.com or check out the Giants and Crowns Partners page at www.giantsandcrowns.com forward slash partners. My name is John McFeeders. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Stadium Goods. Uh, we sell online at stadiumgoods.com. We have a brick and mortar at 47 Howard Street in Soho in New York and uh, a bunch of other fun stuff going on. Nice. So how'd you, how'd you get started? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's as, as a sneaker guy, <laughs> um, a lot of different paths kind of brought me here. I never thought I was going to be in this realm for a long time. Um, I had a couple different roles that have really led me down this path. Um, I was involved with a company called Flight Club um, in the early days and, and at a couple points. And I was also uh, working with Nike from, from a social media aspect. I was, I was running a team that ran their social media for a bunch of years on the agency side. Um, so th- those two things, along with a couple other things that I had going on, um, just taught me a lot about branded communications, taught me a lot about product mix, how to um, present things to customers and a lot of the elements required to, to build a name. Um, and I learned a, a ton about e-commerce and marketplaces and um, other things you can do to drive sales and, and really kickstart transactions behind a platform. So that's, that's sort of the nuts and bolts of it. Um, but yeah, I, 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 t- I asked my mom before I went down this road, like, hey, you really think I should double down and do something in sneakers? And she's like, you know, you're eight years old, fiended out in, in Foot Locker for a <laughs> pair of Bo Jacksons. So I don't, think it, I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, I don't necessarily think I'm like the, the biggest product zealot. You know, I, I like sneakers a lot. I like the products. I think that um, consumers need stories to kind of attach to and feel nostalgia and excitement for... Um, but I don't know. I'm, I'm also not like the biggest collector. You know, mm. I'm, I'm kind of more into old school stuff. Got it. Um, like old school shoes or just old, cool, old school um, things old, or like watches? Old school shoes. Things that have stories, things that Got have it. meaning. You know, I, I, sneakers, I'm really into like Gore-Tex jackets and Got outerwear, it. you know, watches, cars, you know, I do, dude stuff, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, yeah, but it's it, it, very select things. I'm, I'm sort of particular, Okay. I guess. But not not that wide a range. Got it. You know, I'm wearing the same thing I'll probably be wearing if you came back in a year. <laughs> I respect that you and me um, both, man. Yeah. So how did you uh, how did you come to meet your your, your co-founder, your team? Um. And so your team? interesting story. So um, there are a couple of people here at the company that I've known for a really long time. Uh, Jed Stiller, who's my co-founder, he's one of those people. Um, Jed used to be super heavy into hospitality and nightlife and kind of entertainment type stuff. Mm-hmm. I used to go out to his clubs a lot when I was younger. And this is going back until when we were both probably around 21. I'm 38 now, not a young guy. Jed's 38 now too. But I, I used to go to his parties and, you know, drink too much and cause a scene. And, and <laughs> at, 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 some, at some point he, um, he said I, I was not welcome to come to his parties. 
Um, so we sort of, <laughs> we, we went on separate paths at the time. And when I ended up at, at this agency uh, called Team Epiphany, it's like a branded communications yeah. PR marketing agency, I was running their digital department. And as luck would have it, Jed was running their, uh, their talent stuff, um, entertainment marketing, getting, getting the right people into the, the branded events um, that we needed to dial up. And so Jed and I had a chance to work really closely together there and many years later, and it was kind of um, one of these situations that really, that really created a lot of mutual respect. We were in the trenches, we worked on a lot of projects together, saw how we dealt with things firsthand. Um, and then at some point we, we realized that we wanted to work together more closely on some things. Um, and we, I, I, don't, I don't know the year timing of this, I'm sort of bad with timelines, but uh, we got involved with a company called Swarm Mobile that was early days of beacon technology. Um, the idea was that you would plug in this device and it would count the number of phones that came in and out of a location. So Jed and I set up a sales team and we started aggressively selling uh, that, that technology into retailers and hospitality venues and stuff. And um, we, were, we were basically, because we were involved so early on, we were on the cap table. It was, it was our first... Uh, very real startup experience, and we were lucky enough to experience an exit at the end of 2014. That company sold to Groupon. Um, so that, that really set Jed and I on a path to uh, figuring out what our next move was going to be. And at the time, we didn't know what it was. We just knew that we were great working together, and we had different perspectives, different skill sets, very complementary in a lot of different ways. And um, I think that, that kind of complementary nature of skill sets is hugely valuable when, if you have a co-founder. Absolutely. Right? Um, and then that, along with the trust, you know, the, I think the points that we are in our life, there's just, a, like, we both are family men, we both have kids, we're both on the same trajectory in a lot of ways, and it's, I mean, a huge part of what's, what's driving our success, mm. I think. Do you guys think, um, do you think you could have started Sam Goods individually? <laughs> As a very naive person, I might have thought that <laughs> at one point in time, um, it would have been a huge mistake. And no way, like you, I, w I would never consider launching a business without a partner. Like to me, that's just a huge part of what it is. You need, like, there's an ebb and flow. There's wins. There's losses. There's pain. There's blood, sweat, and tears. There's a million like good and bad things that happen, and like you're never gonna be always up. And you need to be balanced, you know? Like, I think um, one of the biggest benefits of having a partner like Jed is that we, we ebb and flow, you know? Usually if he's really pissed off and upset about something, it's like, I'm, I'll level set it and bring it back. And it's the same in the other way. If I'm really down and out, feeling a certain way about something that happened, like, we, we, we get through things together and, and you, you need support and you need um, just people, you, someone like that you can count on. Mm. So it sounds like that relationship is, has definitely been born over the years. Yeah. If you were, what, I guess this is more like an advice question. So like, how would you, how would you recommend that to the other folks? They want to start yeah. a new business and they don't have a jet. You know, it's, uh, it, it's very hard to give that advice yeah. because at the same time, I mean, I've, I've worked with friends. I've worked with family over the years. I did a long stint um, in business with my mother as an example. And we, we did, we did well together. Um, I've had f great friendships that I've lost through business. There's, there's really no way to know. And I, I think one of, the, one of the earliest 
challenges that you have in trying to answer that question. Like you're in college, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. You have your set of friends and you're kind of like, oh, like let's all, let's all get money together. Let's, we're, we're like-minded, let's go and rock. You don't really know what people are about from a work standpoint until you see them in action at work and you go through some difficult things. And that's when you see if, if there's chemistry there. Not to say someone's better or worse or whatever, but, but you, have to, you have to really go through some thick and thin moments to understand what makes a good partner. Um, and the only way to really do that, in my mind, is when you're out in the world working for somebody else, seeing, seeing, seeing other bits of the action. Um, like if you're finding that out with your co-founder when you're on, on a path and you've never seen that before, it, it's probably rolling the dice. You know, yeah, it's a scary um, proposition. It is a scary proposition. And I think, I think that's one of the things like Jed and I, we've known each other for such a long time. We had a lot of that history. It answered a lot of those questions. You know, we, we joke that we're kind of like a hive brain and we are, it's like, he's not here talking, but nothing that I say will be (laughs) shocking to him because he, (laughs) he, like we, we, we know, we know the lingo that we have on each side. We know the, uh, the opinions, the emotions, the, what, the, like what he thinks behind something. If I disagree. We don't even need to really talk about it. So how do you um, how do you guys um, how do you guys like divvy up roles and responsibilities? Um, I mean, so that, that's that's another thing. I, I think one of the one of the good things is that we the roles are very delineated. We 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 regroup all the time to make sure we're in agreement on things. Um, but he handles a lot more of the the financial investment related um, kind of like business operations elements, and I'm more branding e-commerce marketing building the greater vision for like the front end it's to, to oversimplify it it's kind of like a front of house back of house sure. thing um but there are there are ways that that's a dramatic oversimplification it, it's, it's sort of blended together in a bunch of areas but um but yeah we, we very complementary skill sets i'm not like the numbers guy i'm not looking at the math um i Obviously, we, we, we both deal with investors, but he's, he's very, that's very much his domain. And I, I, I dial in when it's needed mm. more. So as you guys think about the business now and with your recent, recent, recent raise and you're growing this business out, how do you think about the team you guys want to build out? I mean, if you ask me what the, what the most challenging thing is about building a business, it's yeah. finding good people. Absolutely. And, and, and I think we've dealt with a couple different different pain points that, that have really um, well, helped us to get to a better place, but, but guided thinking to date. Uh, we, we just made our first full-time HR hire as an example. So, so uh, very excited to have a woman named Amy that just jumped on board. She's spearheading all of our HR uh, hiring, uh, digging for people, HR uh, um, practices, mm-hmm. like you name it. Like there's, there, there's now an owner of that bucket and uh, that's not something that we've had to date. Um, and that's on the corporate side and at the store level on the level corporate well. side, yeah. I mean, the store level, there's, there's definitely other HR things that happen on the store level. So it, kind of feeling through those two separate areas, um, but she's, she's going to be sitting over HR in general. Um, but one of the biggest challenges about starting a business is that it takes very special people that can be there from day one when a business is really small that can still succeed and flourish as a business gets bigger. Of course. And I think a big part of what we try to do is nurture talent to help everyone stay up to speed and get to a better place as we grow. 
Um, but you know, you open your doors and you're doing tiny volume. It's, it's just going to be night and day when the volume is 10 X or something. Um, a lot of the problems you're going to have are different. The, um, yeah, the, the way you have to move is different. Mm. Um, and that, and that's a big challenge. So, so I mean, a big, a big part of our raise or any raise or anything that we're going to be any, any money that we bring into the organization will be to, to grow our, uh, our manpower with the right bodies and people that, that share our vision and have good heads on their shoulders. Know cool. how to grind. Cool. You touched on challenges like over the last couple of years and finding people who can help you traverse those challenges. What are some of the challenges that you guys are most proud of overcoming? Um, you know, there's, there's a good number of them. I mean, I, I, th- I think the earliest challenge was opening our doors and not having heavy traffic. Mm. Um, and kind of being like, wow, it's October, November, and where are the people? You know, like the, 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 first, the first few months that we were in business were, were really challenging in a lot of ways. We, we didn't see the volume that we expected. We thought it was going to be a much quicker, like flipping of a light switch thing, which is kind of unrealistic. Um, so that required that we double down and find some very unique ways to drive traffic as we, as we grew it out. Um, but obviously we got past that and we, we got to a much better place. That was, that was one of our earliest challenges that we overcame. I think, um, on a, on a timeline there, the biggest issue that we, one of the biggest issues that we had to deal with, um, last year was fulfillment and getting to a point where we could handle the volume of outbound. Like we were literally filling all of our packages out of our retail store in the beginning and that during holiday as an example there, there were a bunch of nights where I was downstairs packing boxes with everyone we were literally just doing everything we could to try to keep the momentum up to get those orders out and we didn't we didn't fail but we were we were always behind the eight ball and it was really painful mm. um, that's something that this that in 20 and that, that's more holiday 2016 this year, or and I, I see, I'm awful with time. In, in 2017, we got dialed up with a much bigger facility. We have a warehouse. We have a larger operation now that's, mm. that I'm very proud of. It's kind of like one of these proud father moments, these giant stacks of shoes to the ceiling and yeah. forklifts and uh, a ton of people. And, all and moving your all product. Moving, yeah. <laughs> and that um, getting that set up and making that transition from in-house fulfillment in our store to that larger setup that was that was a, a very difficult process, but when we finally came out the other side and we were really comfortable with it and we could handle the volume, you can do a big sale and you see it spike and mm. doesn't skip a beat. I mean, that's that's a, a huge accomplishment and something that that we're proud of. I think now um, one of the biggest focuses for us has always been customer service, but but that's that's an area now that we're really going to double down and try to innovate to. Um, give people a better experience. So I want to come back to that piece, but the first piece, like what were some of the things you guys did to bring traffic to the space? Um, you know, a bunch of different things. I mean, I think we've, we've, we've done a lot with content. We've done a lot with uh, in-store video, a lot of kind of like broadcasting out who we are and showing the products. And like, if we have a product early, we'll get, we'll broadcast it super early so that we're one of the, we're either the first or one of the first with it. And that helps drive the sprawl. Um, we've had a lot of uh, celebrities and athletes in the space. Some of that has been video content with whether it's a company like Complex or other people that have helped to 
amplify our message and what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. At the same time, we have these enterprise-level partnerships with marketplaces. Like one of the things that's very interesting about our business is that if you sell a shoe through Stadium Goods, it's up for sale on eBay. It's up for sale um, on Amazon, a handful of channels. Um, Alibaba, we sell into China direct mm-hmm. through our partnership with Tmall. That's been a really big one for us. So this happens um, automatically, like as soon as you post up? As soon as it's up. I mean, maybe not like 30 seconds, but sure. hey, yeah. And that's all handled by Stadium Goods. It's you all handled handle by Stadium Goods. Yeah. So, awesome. so let's say you want to sell something direct on eBay. Yeah. You know, there's buyer fraud. There's returns issues. There's, there's feedback you got to deal with. There's like a whole mess of stuff. So you know if you bring it to us, like we handle all that. You don't have to worry about anything. You just got to worry about getting paid out after the item sells. So that was the eBay partnership as an example, which we made within the first few months we were in business in 2015. Um, that really helped to set the tone in a lot of ways for where we went. Mm. Um, Alibaba and Tmall. Tmall has been an incredible journey. And um, I, think, I think China is, is going to be a growth story for the next 12, I mean, next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. It's like this massive change that's just going to continue happening in terms of the power of the market and the consumer power and the interest of um, the consumers for what they're looking for. And that's something that we've been able to, we were able to get, a, get in on, I think, pretty early as it relates to uh, Tmall specifically. Tmall, I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the different channels, but Tmall is kind of like the, the premium uh, retail destination for brands to sell items to in China. Um, and that, that's, that's really helped us to drive as well. So those partnerships, I think it's a combination of that, uh, marketing activation stuff that we do, um, press and just general content, uh, a lot of different things that have kind of raised the sea level. Fast forwarding a little bit, you spoke to getting that major facility and that being a proud father moment. What was that process like? Because you're, you're, you're running retail, yep. like brick and mortar traditional retail. You have your e-commerce platform flowing. Um, and now you're working on nuts and bolts of the business that will really expand capacity. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, it's, <laughs> that's, you just got to roll up your sleeves and, and figure it out. It's not, um, I, don't, I don't think that, uh, we got through it and, and we learned a lot from it and we, we made some mistakes. We made some great moves, you know, uh, but it was, it was definitely a learning experience. How do you move all that product somewhere? How do you change your whole intake system? How do you decide what's in store versus what's in the warehouse? Um, a, lot, a lot of big questions that it raises. How do you make sure it's secure? Um, but, but yeah, you know, I think, I think as we've grown and we've got, gotten better about finding people to help us in certain roles, we, it's, not, it's not just Jed and I trying to figure it out anymore. Like we have more uh, smart thinking to, to guide it. And with, with a move like that, we're not the first company that's ever made that move. Like a lot of people have done that. So, you know, there's a lot of people that we could call on to get opinions and, and soundboard things against. What's the biggest lesson in that transition? Like what's something you, you wish, uh, not I wish, but if you had to do it over again, you would do differently now that you know. Um, we, had, we had a lot of pain in terms of data and how it was transferred over to the new system. Um, and I don't, I don't, even looking back, I don't think there's, there's not like a silver bullet that could have fixed it. It's backend systems, ERPs, things that kind of manage inventory 
traditionally they're very complicated systems. So there's a challenge in getting um, people in the mix that know how to use it and can, can read the data out of those systems. A lot of the pain that we had in that transition was around, around moving the data from our warehouse to what was in the 3PL system. And it, it, it took a lot of time. It took a lot of, of pain and it took a lot of, um, that was something that we were at, had to really be in the mix on to make sure it transitioned the right way. And we had a very difficult, let's say 30, 45 days as it, as it sort of settled. And as we found the problems with what we had set up, mm. um, I don't know how we could have done necessarily done it differently. Um, I think maybe finding, finding a little bit more expertise in the mix to help us through the transition would have been great. It seems like that's something I've just talking to my friends. It's something that seems a, it's a common pain point, like the ERP systems itself, like they're archaic systems or they're just, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely archaic systems. And I think, um, one of the things that's interesting about our company, we've, we've definitely scaled fast, but if you look at how the money was raised, Historically, we, we, we launched, we had, it, it, it was in very small increments. It was like as little as we needed to kind of get the job done and really juice the orange. We've never done like the big capital raise where you can go and, you know, get, get Beyonce to perform at your, your holiday party <laughs> or something. Like it's like we're, we're very tight with the dollars to make sure that everything's handled the right way. Um, but in, in theory, I think that... There, like you can evaluate all the different ERP systems. There's not that. There's nothing that's like, oh wow, here's the sexy one. Right. They're all they're all dusty, old, archaic for the most part. Especially where we have we're a consignment business, so there's certain data points that we need to track that that are different from a run of the mill ERP. If we had more money, we probably would have just gone custom and built something from the ground up that could have housed our situation better. Mm. Um, but that's. That's not where we were coming from. We didn't have that type of capital. So we had to find a solution that was a software that existed and make modifications to it. Mm. Um, and that's, that's kind of what drove a lot of that pain, I think, during that time. But we're in a much better place now. I think it's, it's more about just understanding where things need to be tended to and what you need to watch. Um, yeah, because, I mean, we're, we're, we're in a much happier place now, even with, with our old ERP than we were. Got it. So what are some of the things that you're looking forward to as you, like, now look into the new year, you look into next year? Yeah, you know, um, there's, there's a ton of th things that I'm looking forward to. I, I think one of the biggest, one of the most exciting things for us about um, some of our recent announcements is, is just we've always believed that the aftermarket has needed to be cleaned up. It needs to be presented as a premium retail, premium e-commerce experience and trying to set a really high bar for look and feel, service, all these things that you would get if you were buying from a, a high fashion Soho retailer or something. Mm -hmm. um, as, we've, as we've worked really hard towards that goal, it seems like the market has moved in the right direction and larger brands are taking notice retailers are taking notice that the, the tide is definitely moving in the right direction as it relates to aftermarket. Um, we have all, we have this, this broad selection that people are really interested in. I think at a time when consumers are, are very excited about product that it's hard to get and you can't find, we have it in droves, you know, it's, mm. it, it is at a higher price point, but it's kind of an easy way to, um, 
to approach product interest because if you if you walk into our store and like let's say right now there's four thousand items on the shelf, there's something for everybody. There's going to be something there that excites you. And if you walk into an average retailer, that might not be the case mm. if you're into sneakers. Mm. Um, so I think we're at, we're at a really interesting point where consumers are more excited than ever about the type of products that we're selling. And there's just not that many places you can go to get it and feel good about it. So in that sense, we're, we're trying to set a really high bar and I think the market has kind of reacted. And some of the announcements we have that are coming this year are gonna further that in terms of adoption and how, how we're presented on, in, in the greater retail landscape. Um, so I, sky's the limit in a lot of ways mm. as, as we see it. Mm. Like if we just keep on rocking and rolling and growing, it's uh, there's really no end to where we see things progressing to. Got it. So we were talking about this a little bit offline um, about like partners in the ecosystem, especially from a retail standpoint. You talked about on the block here when you guys came in, V Files was down the block, but then you said Palace and BBC. Yeah, and- Palace and BBC, and then Nike. Nike opened a. Uh, I mean, th- th- this one strip is it's just it's crazy how much has changed. So we're on Howard Street between Broadway and Mercer. Um, v Files was on that corner. They've been there for a long time, and they, they they have a really great energy. They have had for a long time. They do a lot of popping stuff at V Files, but there was also there was a lot of vacant retail land over here. So we we got in. We opened our our store. It was uh, November 2015. I think we opened the doors of the retail um, at some probably. A year or so later was about when, I, I don't remember exactly when BBC opened, but Billionaire Boys Club uh, was looking for a new space. They were on West Broadway. Um, so they came and opened uh, right at the end of Howard on Mercer. And then Palace, that's uh, an incredible lightning rod of hype, um, opened up immediately next door, which has really changed this part of the, uh, on this side of Broadway. Um, we also have on the other side, Rick Owens opened up on the other side of Howard Street, uh, a brand new hotel at the 11 Howard opened up with restaurants and bar, a restaurant and a bar. And there's like this hot new Soho hotel at the other end. There's a new restaurant in the corner. I mean, the, the whole neighborhood is picked up. Um, and a lot of these spaces, they were, they were just vacant before, um, have, have brought a lot of energy to it. And I think, I think to my point, what I was saying earlier is a lot of that like we, we, we tried to sort of show it around and help people into seeing what we thought it could become. But at the same time, a lot of it's just karma and, and positive energy, I think, moving in the right direction. You know, retail is a difficult uh, space to play in in this day and age. And I think we, we got really lucky on a bunch of fronts. Mm. How do you think that kind of energy and the sort of the ecosystem that you've created on the ground has helped the online parts of the business? I mean, in a, in a bunch of different ways. I think it, it's a huge driver for word of mouth. Yeah. Um, there's, a lot, there's a heavy component of tourist traffic around here. A lot of those tourists, that when they go back home to wherever it is, they buy online. Uh, that, that's been a big driver. I also really believe, I believe in retail as it relates to our business. I think that um, older retail models are having a tough time, but I think that what we offer is, is, is a much different type of situation. Our store does really well. It has a, a big volume of people, um, but we, we use it as a hub for content. It's like it's, we, we broadcast from there. We host things in there. We take photos and film videos and, and unboxing stuff and contests, and we've had uh, releases and stuff that we've done in here. It's, it's, it's very much an energy space, um, 
with a heavy focus on content, but at the same time, it's functional retail that's transacting all the time. You know, I, I, I think traditional retail has not done as good a job as, as it needs to on finding ways to, to drive excitement in retail. And that's something that we've, we've worked on a lot. Do you, do you see that happening with your additional locations as well, like them becoming sort of hubs of the community and the neighborhoods and all totally. that? Totally. I mean, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I just think that's what it has to be. I, I think that one of the, we, we had a DJ Khaled come in the store and it was early on and it was one of these, it, it was a very scary but exciting day because the whole street was mobbed with people and it was, <laughs> it was crazy. It was a, a fan love day. He came and he did, he did fan love it at stadium goods. And, and one of the things that I, I really loved about his energy and what he was doing was he's like, he's like the king of embracing his fans and making them part of the conversation. You know, he'll stay, he'll shake everyone's hand. He'll take pictures with everyone. It's very, it's very welcoming. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's something that, that kids today are very receptive to. They want to be part of the dialogue. They're not trying to look at things from a distance on the other side of the barricade and not be part of the conversation. And when we open up new retail, that's very much how we want the conversation to be. We want people to feel great about coming in, whether or not they're thinking about buying something, you know, just checking it out. It could be anyone walk through that door and they, they should get the same welcoming interaction from whoever's in the front. We should be able to take them through whatever questions they have or product mm. information they're looking for. Um, it's more of a dialogue. Whereas I, I think for a long time, sneaker culture was more like, why are you in here? Like, are you cool, en- are you cool enough to get, get this pair? You know, like, I don't know. Like, yeah. is it, are you really sure yeah. you want, you know? Um, and that, that's, that's, that's a very like 90s, early 2000s mindset when there was kind of this, this cool guy access to things. And mm-hmm. I just don't think that's where the world is now. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it, it has to be a lot more about community and how you interact and 1000% that's something that we'll we'll do when we go to go to new locations in new it, cities it sounds like this hand in hand with you, you talked to you touched on earlier the customer care customer service piece yep yeah which is a big part and i we've always hung our hat on service right um i think that that now now we sort of need to double down and refocus on it you know we've we've we have some strengths we have some weaknesses there's there's a lot of room for improvement on that service, but it's, it's a huge part of who we are and who we want to be and where we're headed. So, um, that's, that's a, a, a big line item on the innovation list mm. for 2018. Mm. So how do you think about with, with respect to the customer service space, the community piece, um, your physical locations, like the role of data in syncing it all together, even the data you, you yep. refer to on the RIP side at the 3PL. So how do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, so we've, we've, We've gotten a lot smarter about how we kind of coalesce it all into a single point right. and how we use it for certain types of outreach. There's still a lot that we need to do to really marry it up. Like right now, the in-store customer isn't connected with the online profile. That's something okay. that we need to improve upon. The challenge is, is when there's so much data and when, as soon as you start driving like a big number of transactions and you have a ton of customers, it's more about what do you want to do with it and how can you distill it down into these actionable pieces of data that make sense to drive something. Um, a big area of focus for us is retention. Obviously, how can we better market to people that are, that are already in our system, that are interested in our products? Um, 
I mean, there's a lot of different focus points, but uh, we, I believe in, in always looking, always having numbers to back up decisions, always, um, really always digging through the data to get the best synthesis of, of informa- information as you're kind of making bigger moves. Um, so, I mean, we have, we have a couple guys on our team that that's what they do. They're just in the numbers all the time, um, in the stats all the time. And, and that's a huge part of what drives us as a company. Mm. What's, what's something you believe about the space that no one else believes? Um, I don't, I, that, that's, 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 that's an interesting question. I, I think there's, there's, there's two things. One is, is the, the idea, I don't think people on a timeline care about retail versus aftermarket. I think they want products. They want products that are in a certain condition, that are brand new, that they can trust. I don't think customers care about whether or not it's a retail model or an aftermarket model. For a long time, aftermarket and marketplace have been kind of dirty words in, in, in the sneaker business and in a lot of businesses. You know? When you say dirty words, what do you mean? Well, I'm trying to think of the right way to say it without like... So, so let's, let's, say, let's, say, let's say you're on Craigslist, right? And you say, someone says, hey, I got a pair of sneakers I want to I sell. Yeah. And you go and you go, oh, cool, I'd like those. Let's go meet up, right? Mm. There's nothing about that experience that's going to feel rich right. or exciting. Sort of shady. It's sort of shady. It's, it's, it's questionable. There's a, there's a lot of pitfalls. There's, yeah. there's, you don't know. Like you have questions. And that, that example is kind of – there's a lot of hand-to-hand um, which, which has led, ha- led to a lot of issues and a lot of problems, and a lot of people don't trust um, or haven't trusted to date the, this, this sort of aftermarket for products. But end of the day, it, it really comes down to market supply and demand and, and what people are interested in. And I think 10 years from now, people will go where they want to buy products, and they're not going to be thinking necessarily about the source of those goods. It's going to be, I want an item. I'll pay whatever the price is. I'll get it. I think we're, we're kind of breaking a glass ceiling in a lot of ways as it relates to an aftermarket. Um, so I, I believe that, that we're, we're, we're on a path to be an incredibly premium e-commerce retail presence that, that will be the first of its kind in terms of this, this sort of aftermarket presentation of the goods that we're selling. So the premium aspect, how would you... So to give you some background, like in college, I made a lot of my money selling sneakers. Okay. Um, sneakers, DJing, and mixtapes, like illegal mixtapes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, mixtapes were mixtapes were a hot hot hustle for right. me. Yeah. It's <laughs> so like that. The the arbitrage that existed, the, the thing that allowed me to, to charge a premium was that it was hard to get access to yep. the music. Like, where do you get that Marshall Mathers LP? Where do you get where'd you get that Dr. Dre's Chronic? Well, I know where to download it from. I know where to get it. Pay me the extra dollars for yep. it. Um, where'd you get those uh, Space Jams? We're in Cleveland. Don't worry about it. I can get to New York. I can get it for you, but here's the premium costs. You guys are doing a great job of sort of leveling the access playing field. I can go online, find it. Um, so how do you define that premium? Is it because it's no longer really the exclusivity at that point, right? Well, or no, the, in, the, in my mind, it still is. It's okay. um, brands, are, brands have to strangle the supply mm. like people when whenever a brand oversupplies the market it never works out well 
for the brand. There's ne- like everyone's winning if there's never enough for kids that want it. Okay. Um, and and it's it's a, it's a very tricky thing to manage. But take take Jordan Brand as an example. A right. couple of years ago, they they were kind of growing and growing and growing, and the retro movement was growing and growing and growing, and it got to a point where there was too much product in the market, and it 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 didn't just impact a release or two, like it kind of tanked that whole movement mm. for for arguably a couple of years. Mm. Like Jordan's back on a strong path now. They've they've seen some some great releases in the past few months and even late last year, but. A lot of that comes down to just very carefully managing supply and demand. And I, I think in that sense, customers don't really, they don't want to feel like they're getting mass market product. Everyone wants to feel like they have something special that that's has right. a story that's unique. And there's, it's very difficult to marry that way of thinking up with supply in a way that's cohesive. You know? And I think that's part of, as a market force, what drives this industry. And it's something you guys um, have control yeah, over when it, it comes it, to like pricing and positioning. Pricing and whatever. That. I mean, our, our, one of our big goals this year is to try to get pricing more competitive and, and lower to make it more accessible right. for things. But I mean, it's... But not too accessible. Not too, exactly. Right. It's, and like finding out where that wall is. Yeah. Like a lot of times, if someone walks into our store and they have no idea what it is, right? They don't know sneakers. They don't know the market. They can... A lot of times they'll look at the price tag on a shoe and they'll be like, wow, I don't understand. This is crazy. We have a shoe right. in there that's like $60,000, you know? <laughs> what, what shoe is that? It's a, it's a pair of Air Mags, Nike okay. Air Mags, you know? A lot of that stuff is really good for storytelling. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> when that mass consumer comes in that has no idea, like we, we're, we're, we're trying to find new ways that we can sort of ease that in and, and, and turn it into more of an education vehicle okay. so that they understand more what the world is and not... Just fixate on on that price. Got it. Um, yeah. So one other one other thing to kind of answer your last question, I, I I see us elevating to a position where we're we're in this very premium retail e-commerce space, and people aren't thinking about aftermarket versus retail. It's just clean retail. The second thing that I think is a huge market force is brand loyalty is is not what it was when we were coming up. I, I was only I would only wear Nike and Nike purely when I was growing up for the most part I didn't even really wear Jordan like that I was right. just literally Nike Nike runners stuck pretty heavy to to this sort of vintage Nike contingent I wore North Faces heavy heavy quantities of North Face jackets like I wouldn't look at at the time I wouldn't look at a Patagonia like it was very <laughs> defined polo like stuff that I I wore for 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 like the better part of a decade and I, it, I wouldn't wear anything else. I think that that that's kind of an old way of thinking about brand loyalty. People now are much more comfortable trying different things, testing it out, feeling it out with, with something that's new, you know, trying on an item from a brand they've never heard of and, and wearing it around and seeing if it's for them. It's a lot more like trial and error and, and, and kind of testing. And it's not as bound to, this legacy idea of brand loyalty, okay. um, which I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm probably not the only person that believes that, but I think that's a big market force. Got it. So that, that sort of reinforces your guys' desire to tell more stories on the platform as well. Yeah, I mean, it helps us because there's a lot more stories. Absolutely. You know, it, there's, there's always something happening. There's always right. an exciting event to hook into or, or something sexy going on in the community that we can, we can leverage and turn into something. Got it. 
how do you how do you think about Amazon? Like in this world of retail and e-commerce, how do you, to the extent that you're comfortable speaking to it, like, are you threatened by them? Are you insulated from them because of the segment you're you're occupying? So, we we work with them directly on a lot of stuff. I think yeah. we've we've done well, um, and we've we've had some some good wins in working pretty closely with them. I think I think the Amazon model definitely presents some challenges. Um, there's, there's some very painful things about how Amazon's business grows. Like, what happens to a lot of the mom and pop retailers? What happens to other people that are selling these goods? I think, I don't, I don't know what the answers to those questions are. I worry about it as it relates to traditional retail and grocery stores and, right. you, like, you name it. There's, there's an Amazon solution for a huge chunk of jobs and, and opportunity that other people currently enjoy. Um, and that, that's, that's something that kind of scares me and I, I worry about. I think for us, we're, we're, in a, we're in kind of a special spot because the expertise that it takes to know this product and, and understand the market in and out, it's, it's really hard to get right. Um, I, I think that, that sort of puts us in a bit of a unique situation. Got it. Got it. How much would you say brand loyalty around same goods is important in terms of giving you some defensibility, not only on that side, but also just in terms of other competitors in the space? I mean, I, I, it's something that we, we work to nurture and grow. Yeah. Um, I, I, th- I think that we have, we have a ton of very loyal customers, a lot of people that are, that every month they're coming back, you know, heavy volume of repeats. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely something we're focused on. I think, I think we've done well to date as it relates to, to loyalty, but we could always get better and we could always continue to, Work down that path. I think. I think where we're different is people have a lot of confidence in our logistics and our ability to. So one, they trust the authenticity. They know that the product's 100% good, no questions to be asked, right? And they know they're going to get it right away, and that we're very honest, good people as it relates to dealing with issues as they arise. Mm. I think that fast delivery um, and and the ability to kind of bring all that product together from a retail standpoint, as an example, really helps us. Um, but still, still something that we need to work at and continuously earn. You know, you're only as good as your last hit record. Right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a huge part of what we focus on on a daily basis. Got it. Got it. Um, so before we jump over to our quick fire, what's, what's, um, what's perhaps the biggest lesson you've learned personally? Or like looking back at yourself the last, was it four or five years since starting? Um, what's the biggest thing that's changed or the biggest thing you're, you're proud of? Um, so the, the biggest thing I'm proud of is, is has nothing to do with the business actually. Sure, yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a relatively new father. I have a two and a half year old son. Congrats, he, man. Thank you. He's a couple months older than it's stadium goods. <laughs> um, and he's, 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 he's my everything. And I, I think that there, there are definitely times where it's easy to lose sight of life right. when you're going down the founder's path. Like, because it's, it's just full on, like you're never really checked out. It's important to take time and focus on that stuff because once those moments are gone, they're gone, you know? Um, I, still something that I think I, I can get better at. Like I need to get be- a little better about time management and finding time for myself or like taking care of myself or whatever. But I, I'm super proud of my, my son and, and my wife and, and our ability to kind of create this family unit. Um, like that's, that's, the, that's the biggest victory. Mm to date for me. 
Um, and then it, it's a learning of how you integrate yeah. the, that, the, like, that like fast pace pedal to the metal entrepreneurialism with the, the family life. And that's, that's a challenge. That's a big challenge. I think, I think we're collectively getting better at home about dealing with that and bringing it all together and making sure that we have dedicated time for everything. Like I do breakfast, wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. every morning, seven days a week. I put them to sleep most nights. Like I'm, I'm, weekends are sort of off limits now for work. There was a time where we were working all weekend and that's not the case now, thankfully. Um, so still some room for improvement, but trying to make strides in time management. It's like, it's like a family or a kid really is a forcing function for everything else. Yeah. Because you talk about like even the, the weekends as an example. In the earlier days, you probably rationalize. I can imagine myself rationalize staying, coming in on a Saturday, coming in on a Sunday because we got to get this done. Yeah. But there's decisions you end up making when you have a kid who's at home. It's like, we'll figure it out. And there's like a, a part of your mind that opens up. I don't have a kid myself, but I've seen it in founders and friends. They just, there's like a superpower that opens up. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> it's, I, I, I see it as like National Geographic. Like there's this animal, like, you, you know, you see your cub. Yeah. <laughs> and it just makes you do like different things. Like it's very hard to, I heard it, you hear it a million times before you have a kid. But after you have a kid and you sort of, look in their eyes and there's like a chemical thing that changes in your body that right. drives your decisions differently. Right. Like now, so my son is uh, two and a half. He, he knows when I'm not there. He like asks for me when I'm gone. Like it turns, you can't really not be in the mix. Like you have to be present as a dad. That's a huge, that's what, that's what it is. Right. Um, so that has to come first in a lot of ways, but it, it, it's a balanced it's a balancing act in terms of where, like where, where, where you are going to be present and where you're going to be grinding mm-hmm. out at work to make sure that he's good and supported and on the right path. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, congrats, man. That's thank you. Yeah, man. Um, all right. So now let's transition over to uh, those quick fire questions I told you about. Yep. Um, so as I said, four to five questions, quick, quick question, quick answer, some rationale if you choose to. Mm. Um, first one, Biggie or Tupac? Uh, Biggie, all day. Yeah, <laughs> pa- party and bullshit. You know, that's like uh, yeah, 90s New York. Got it. Like, I, to be honest, I, I know Tupac's an incredible, was an incredible guy, but yeah, I, was, I wasn't blasting his albums when I was that age. I was, I was a Biggie guy. So. I respect it. Yep. Um, even though I'm from the West Coast and it's Tupac all day, I, I respect the sentiment. <laughs> I mean, if I was from the West Coast, I'd be telling a different story. I respect that too. Yep. Um, all right, so what's a favorite book or recent book that you've read that really uh, left an imprint? That's, that's, gonna, that's a challenge. I haven't read a book in, in, in a minute. That's fair. Um, so so I, I used to be really big, and I'm, I'm going to get some of these names mixed up because it's been a while. I used to read a lot of books about branding mm-hmm. and um, there was, there's a famous book, Dale Carnegie, How to Make Friends and Influence People. Yeah. That was one that I read and enjoyed when I was younger. Um, there, there's this incredible, I think it's called Positioning. I think the title of the book is Positioning that teaches you about a brand, how to create it and, um, and really hammer it home and some cardinal rules you can't break, you know, things that you need to follow as, as you're building a brand. <clears throat> I believe the book is titled Positioning, but I, I, forget, I forget the author. I would it's a short back book. And read it. I think I've seen yeah, it. Yeah. It's like, like 25 rules or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Something, something like that. I, I need to look back. But I, I think I butchered the name. I, I was big into reading those books. I also, um, 
this is awful, but I, I was really big into these uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad books. Okay. Um, <laughs> there was a phase uh, right after college where I kind of like went really heavy down that path. Um, and I, I think there, there's a lot that you can't get from that now. Like it's, it's a little too basic, but there's always been this desire in me to, uh, to get out of the rat race, which is like a big premise in, in, that, in that, that book that you can't, like I, my parents' generation, like the, a lot of, a lot, a lot, my mom, a lot of the people that she knew, they all had these, um, these executive jobs at large companies. And one by one, they were all getting laid off and kind of left out in the cold, uh, not having the right situation and you don't want to be looking for work when you're like mid fifties, late fifties. It's, right. it's a very difficult environment. And I think that coupled <clears throat> with sort of entrepreneurial thinking, I've always believed in needing to find your own hustles and having things to fall back on if things go South. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think that the, those books are the right books for that, but that's the type of stuff that I look for in reading material, mm. things that'll give me new ideas. Like how can I find something a new opportunity. Um, what, 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 what does it mean if I incorporate this thinking into my processes? Um, I'm, I'm much more into nonfiction, business development type stuff from a reading standpoint mm. than anything else. Mm. So similar question, uh, TV shows or movies that, uh, that have left the most imprint? Uh, you know, I, I, I just watched uh, Ozarks. Oh, that, yeah, Ozarks is, Ozarks, Ozarks is yeah I, I mean, it left an impression. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know if I would, um, I don't know what the message is there necessarily. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, you know I, I think uh, there, there, there is a message there and there is something that resonates. There's, I, think, I think a lot of people that have never been founders, that have never um, necessarily built something from the ground up, don't realize how, how much fear is a motivator. Like to me, fear is a huge motivator. Mm -hmm. um, and thankfully we're in a position where it's not as fearsome day to day. But like, I, for a long time I believed that if you, you could have a bunch of hustles and you could be good enough at a, at a handful of them to, to survive and get by and find some, some wins. But I think a big reason that we're on the path that we're on now is that this is it there's no other option but to win. Like you, you put yourself in a position where you can't lose mm. and you're not going to if, if, if it's set up the right way, you know? Mm. Um, and and, and, and in, in Ozarks, not to, <laughs> I mean, fear is a huge motivator for, huge. for the main character <laughs> in that one. It's like, it all comes down to that. Much different type of fear, but, yeah. I mean, but you know, like feeding, feeding a child and making sure that you have a home and making sure that you can pay the bills and keep everything on track and, making sure you don't let down your team and that you keep everyone happy around you, you know? It's, it's fear in every one of those equations. So last question, what would you tell yourself, uh, the younger version of yourself, the more naive version of yourself, what kind of advice would you give him? You know, so on a professional trajectory, I, I, a lot of the stuff that I spoke about from a history standpoint was from when I was 30 and on. I'm 38 now. Mm -hmm. I spent a good number of years trying to figure it out and I would, I would tell myself to get on a path sooner. Like a single path. Uh, focus yeah. On a single path sooner. I think I, I, stop trying to do a million things, find something and really focus on it because that's, that's the only way you can really learn from what's going on in the space. Even if it's the wrong path, um, I, I, I would try to get myself to be directed 
at an earlier age. Mm. I think I'm lucky for how far I've gotten in, I mean, since 30 and eight years, I've, I've, I've touched and interacted with a lot of really exciting types of work. I've built some incredible things. I've, um, I've, had, I've had some really good stuff happen. Um, but prior to that, it was, it was like a little too much trying to figure it out and a little too much like hustling and, and right. when I, I, if I'd, st- if I had gotten on a better direction, like let's say 25, that's five more years of yeah. professional development. I think the other thing, I, I think a lot of people today think that they can learn what they need to without really rolling up their sleeves and being in the mix on something. And you, you have to be deep in an industry or a trade to really know how it works. Like you can't read about it. It's like if you decide that you want to manufacture apparel, like you're only really going to learn about that by visiting factories and understanding how people set up production runs and CADs and design and what, what's the planning process and the sampling process and the delivery times from one country to another. Like there's, there's so many different elements of it that I think there's this, this um, oversimplification that takes place when a lot of people think about entering a business. Mm. And you're only going to learn from people that are doing it well, that know the right systems, that know how to set it up to win. And you got to just dig in and, and find somewhere to rock. Mm. You know, that's good advice. Yeah, thank you, man. Ah. <laughs> happy, happy to, happy to talk, man. Yeah, I'm glad we could uh, chat. Yeah.